either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry. You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. Back in the screening room and the good news, cut into the chase, there's not a stinker in the bunch. <laughs> not a stinker. That's always good. Welcome. This is the Screening Room Podcast. She is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And we are from MadWolf.com. Let's start with the story of seven people on trial stemming from various charges surrounding the uprising at the 1968 Democratic National Convention in Chicago. It's the trial of the Chicago Seven. You know why you're on trial here? These rebels without a job. They're a threat to national security. This revolution, we may have to hurt somebody's feelings. When you came to Chicago, were you hoping to draw the police into a confrontation? I'm concerned you have to think about it. Give me a moment, would you, friend? I've never been on trial for my thoughts before. This is the latest from celebrated writer Aaron Sorkin. He's known mainly as a writer, at least until now. He mm -hmm. wrote The West Wing. He wrote The Social Network. He wrote uh, the TV show Newsroom. He wrote Moneyball. On and on and on and on. Extremely A few good men. A few good men, yeah. Extremely intelligent writer. Um, and then a few years ago, a couple years ago, he directed his first movie, Molly's Game, right. which was, uh, well, now he has really stepped it up because this, we both feel this is one of, he's directing this one, writing it too, and we feel it's one of the best movies of the year. Absolutely. And one of the things that I think Sorkin likes to do, obviously, if you get Ben, you saw it also in Molly's Game, he likes a courtroom drama. And those are hard to do in a way that is uh, feels like the film is moving forward. And I think he does an incredible job here by intercutting uh, what led up to the riot, the, the riot itself, which is what led to the um, charges against the seven, which is, as you said, at the uh, 1968 Democratic Convention. And it's actually eight because Bobby Seale, the leader of the Black Panthers, if you know the history of this, he was dragged into this as well. Um, and that is part of the story, the fascinating story, the, the maddening story. And it is an incredible slice of history. And the thing that's so, a couple things Sorkin does here, and I, I admit I'm a sucker for his writing, <laughs> even when it's too much, even when it's self-aggrandizing, even when it's a little pompous. I think he's just so intelligent, and I love his wordplay. Here, he really seems, it's almost like a music writer needs a co-writer to help rein them in. He seems like he's reining himself in here on the writing front. And on the directing front, at least comparing himself to Molly's Game, I thought he has made a giant stride in directing. Like you said, in able, uh, how he's able to make a courtroom drama so exciting and thrilling by adding different aspects to it in telling the story. I was very impressed by the strides he's made as a director. I agree with you. And uh, the other thing I think that you can't discount is how much easier it is to be a director when you have the level of talent in the cast that he has here. Oh, my. S such, and it's it's quite the ensemble. Oh, I mean, it is. I don't think anybody really gets the lion's share of screen time. No, because I agree with you. There are so many real-life personalities that, that were involved here. When we're talking about... 
Eddie Redmayne plays Tom Hayden. You've, and, of course, he's an Oscar winner. You've got another Oscar winner in um, Mark Rylance, yes. who plays the um, the attorney, William Kunstler. Then you've got Sasha Baron Cohen. I'll tell you what, I'm going to say right now, he, he's got to be in the running for a Best Supporting Actor. He was magnificent. He plays Abby Hoffman. Yeah. And now, just look at the pictures of the two. He might be a little taller, but uh, very close. Yeah. Very close. And his, his performance is fantastic. As you said in the written review, we've known him to be talented. Yes. We didn't know him to be this talented of a dramatic actor. Correct. Even though he's got his, his, if you know anything about Abby Hoffman, you know he was a bit of a comic relief here. Yeah. But still, it's a very dramatic and important role. Yeah, he was great. You have other reliable actors. Joseph, Joseph Gordon-Levitt was great. Uh, Frank Langella, frustratingly oh, great. Frank Langella plays the judge in this. And some of the things he rules on and his things that are sustained or overruled, you just want to smack him. But he's so good, as Frank Langella always is. And then you've got John Carroll Lynch, who's a veteran veteran uh, character actor. Always great to see him. And Bobby Seale is played by Yahya Abdul-Mateen II. Great. He is great. And I can't tell you how much I've been waiting to see Candyman. And I know that Candyman <laughs> is a lesser film than this. I'm not pretending it isn't. But at least we got to see him in this. Yeah, and Jeremy Strong from Succession right now. He's riding high with Succession. He plays Jerry Rubin. Yeah. Of course, the, the yin to uh, Abby Hoffman's Yang. And they're fantastic together. It just goes on and it on. It really does. And even though, like, very small parts, people who are just in it for a scene and no more. I mean, I yeah. think that... Kelvin Harrison Jr. Oh, he's so, he's so good and everything. Yeah. yeah. It's just an incredibly impressive ensemble. And an ensemble in that nobody is vying to be the star. Nobody is trying to steal the thunder from anybody else. Yeah. Oh, my God, and a great late film, almost cameo from Michael Keaton. Yes, I, I, I didn't see that one coming. He's got a very important role. But the writing is so dead on and so, and, and so impressively fleshed out by these characters. I mean, the wordplay here, it, it, they throw around different issues from different angles. There's a fantastic argument between Abby Hoffman and Tom Hayden, and that's Eddie Redmayne and Sasha Baron Cohen. And it just goes back and forth as you see... Th these characters couldn't be more different. And they see this whole protest action from different points of view. And as they said, we, we have different definitions of winning. And it's right. a brilliant scene, brilliantly written, and, and brilliantly acted by these two. And it's just, that's just how this movie unfolds. And it does a fantastic job of using this real piece of history to speak to today. Yeah, and you know, one of the things that I'm I'm less forgiving of Aaron Sorkin's writing when it becomes <laughs> un, unreasonably lofty. Yeah, I got because you. what what I think, you know, is uh, is really a mark of his style is these incredibly almost relentlessly intelligent machine gun fire conversations back and forth. But here's the thing. This group of human beings they were this smart. They were this sharp. Mm -hmm. And so his style of writing, you buy it. I believed it 100% that these people were talking this quickly back and forth in this way. And, and so between that and between just the performances, because, uh, because again, it, it's, it's rare for anybody to get to work with a group of actors who are this talented. They elevated everything, and it, it, was, such, it was such a great match, director-writer cast. Yeah, this was in, is in selected movie theaters, if you want to see it on the big screen and want to venture out. It's also on Netflix starting this weekend. So whichever way you want to catch it, definitely catch it. I expect it. We expect it to be in the running for many awards at the end of the season. And it is The Trial of the Chicago 7.
Moving to a documentary next, Fox Rich fights for the release of her husband, Rob, who is serving a 60-year sentence in prison. This one is called Time. My twins will be 18 next month. They have absolutely no idea what it means to have a father in their house, what fathers even do. Hello. Did you get any word from over at the big houses no, today? Anything yet. Nothing yet? No. Okay. You got a chance to call today? I have not. No? Okay. Success is the best revenge. You're going to show them that they can't treat human life this way. Success is the best revenge. Just hang in there because when you get them home, they're going to pay, they're going to pay, they're going to pay. I knew that if it was going to be, it was going to be totally up to me. It's been a weird year in a lot of ways, but one of the things that I'm I'm glad about is that by mid-October, people start rolling out the big award contenders, and this is absolutely going to be one of them. Yeah, it is. Another one of the best films that we've seen this year, and I almost feel guilty now because of how much we put off watching this. Yeah. I just didn't, because I knew, the only thing we knew about it is that it was about a man who had been given a ridiculously long prison sentence and the wife who was who was fighting to get him out. And I, we've seen these movies, not that they're not needed, they are, not that they're not effective, they are, but I was just, oh. Yeah, they can, they can really be a yeah. punch in Which the gut. Which I know is an incredibly privileged point of view. I know, oh, I just don't want to watch a movie about it. People are living that. I totally get it. So we did put it off, and I was... So sad at the time I put it off because I was turns out to be I was so glad this movie exists. It, it's it's a beautiful movie. It's a poetic movie and it's an incredible story. It was it's director Garrett Bradley and she originally intended this story to just to be a, a short film. Right. A bookend to another a film that she did about the consequences of incarceration on the families left behind. Well, the more she dug into the home videos made by Fox Rich. She was she had been just chronicling her journey, her family's journey in dealing with this prison sentence that her husband had. The more that uh, the director, Garrett Bradley, dug into this, well, this was a, a story that could not be denied. And the way it unfolds is just, it's just beautiful and uplifting. Uplifting, if you can believe that, because they, they fully admit, I mean, the, the wife, Fox, was a was the getaway driver. They held up a Louisiana credit union in 1997. And even though nobody got hurt, it was the first offense. Uh, uh, her husband, Rob, tried to cut a plea deal, but a series of crazy legal maneuvers forced him to stay in trial, and he got 60 years without parole. And so these home videos, just you see their children growing up. You see her just the perseverance is insane. How, how this woman kept going with the attitude that she did. She is incredible. I hear now that they are possibly going to get a talk show, the two of them. And I hope so. I do, too. Because I will watch it. Yeah. I'm telling you what, this woman is amazing. She gets the majority of screen time, although obviously her husband does get some as well. But it, it's hard to explain how a story like this can be so uplifting, but it is. Uh, it, it's just about hope and love and the ending. I don't even want to get close to spoiling it. The ending is such a bravo moment. It is so touching it's going to be one of the touching, most touching moments you'll see on film this year. So, uh, yeah, this has got to be in the running for Documentary of the Year. It's incredible. It's streaming now. Uh, it's called Time. Don't miss it. Let's go to a comedy. A homesick college freshman goes to a party at 
shithouse and ends up spending the night with his sophomore RA who's had a shitty day and wants someone to hang out with. This is called Shithouse. Why do you want to just go back to what you were doing? Did you think we were going to date because of one night? Tonight, we're making new friends. Let's get outside the comfort zone. Maggie is outside of my comfort zone, though. What I've realized is that I haven't fully been here. College is the most selfish time of your life. The agenda here is not to learn how to be a great friend. What is the agenda? Figure out who you are. Figuring out who you are separate from other people. Matt Wiener wrote this review for us at MadWolf.com and loved it. Loved this movie. He said it was very moving. It's the semi-autobiographical account from writer-director Cooper Rafe. And it's... Who also stars. Who also stars. It's a, a college sort of coming-of-age, nice guy, sort of a movie. And you think it is typical fare, and it is absolutely right. not. And it's simultaneously forgiving and unforgiving. And it's graceful, and it really addresses that young people do stupid, stupid things. And Cooper, I, I, I want to say, we wanted to talk about this on TV this morning, but we couldn't say the title shithouse so uh, so uh apologies but uh big recommendations and here. i i want to make sure that we mention dylan galula who plays uh right. the crush who plays the ra that he has a crush on mm-hmm. steals every scene yeah. steals the movie a magnificent performance yeah getting a lot of a lot of comparisons to the before sunrise series yes. of films from richard linkletter from a college standpoint and it is. It's so nice to see movies like this that are set with the younger people that don't condescend, yeah, yeah. that are so smartly written yeah. and smartly produced. So uh, this is another one. This is And this is streaming now? It is streaming now. Streaming now. So spend some time with Shithouse. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do more comedy. This one follows Will, whose true life passion is to become a stand-up comedian. It's called The Opening Act. Maybe stand-up is just not really in the cards, you know? Yeah, he bummed. Bound hard, too. Your ass should be on the TSA watch list. I'm not like the macho guy. Like, I'm really good looking if you're into anime. The thing about stand-up is that you have a chance to be better today than you was yesterday. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we'll choose! Darren Tilby reviewed this one for us, uh, which is a little bit funny because Darren is based in England, and this is set right here in Ohio. Yeah, it is. It's <laughs> set in Steubenville, Ohio, which is actually not far where I grew up. But, yeah, I will say that Darren liked it a little. I mean, I liked it. Yeah. He liked it more than I did, which which is fine. But it's uh, one of those behind-the-scenes stories of the life of a stand-up comic, which we've certainly seen before. Nothing wrong with that. And it's writer-director... Steve Byrne, and you get the feeling this is... Again, a little autobiographical. Yeah, because he is an Asian-American comic, and uh, as is his main character, Will, who's played by Jimmy O. Yang from uh, Silicon Valley Mm. and some other other roles. And, yeah, he lives in Steubenville, and he gets uh, the big break. He does the clubs there, and he gets a big break when uh, one of his comic friends, played by Ken Jeong, and that's another thing about this movie, it is littered with stand-up comedy cameos from from comedians. You'll see uh, Bill Burr, you'll see um, Whitney Cummings. Um, Cedric the Entertainer has a pretty big role Mm -hmm. as the the legendary comic who kind of mentors 
uh, young Will. So anyway, he gets a break being an MC at an improv club in Pennsylvania. And of course, he spends his time bombing on stage, <laughs> which is awkward. You know, I mean, you, you can't have you can't have a, a movie, I guess, about stand up comics. I give them all the credit in the world. Oh, I do. Yeah. To go up there and try to make people laugh and get heckled and just bomb. Just eat it right there on stage, you know? But uh, so it is. It's it's one of those, if you're looking for a nice diversion and, and you like stand-up comics, I mean, if you're one of those people like our son who loves stand-up comedy, uh, not that I don't, but, uh, but uh, some people love it more than others, and just really dig into that world, I think you'll really enjoy the opening act, and it is streaming now as well. Mm-hmm. Back to a documentary. It's an in-depth look at how the United States government handled the response to the COVID-19 outbreak during the early months of the pandemic. It's totally under control. The CDC has identified a case of coronavirus in Washington state. The words about a pandemic at this point? No, we're not at all, and it's going to be just fine. Whatever happens, we're totally prepared. We, the scientists, knew what to do for the pandemic response. The plan was in front of us, but leadership would not do it. It is time to lay our careers on the line and push back. The truth is finally coming out. There's so much to expose. totally under control. Boy, talk about films you may not really feel like getting into. <laughs> this is one, but it's so good and it's so thoughtfully laid out. Actually, three directors, um, Ophelia Herotunian, and I know I, I butchered that and I'm, I, I apologize, along with Suzanne Hillinger and the Oscar-winning Alex Gibney. Mm-hmm. And it's it's such a measured, confident tone. I mean, and it exists in a weird place. It's coming out here, obviously, what are we, like two weeks before an election, right. pretty much? And, of course, it eviscerates the Trump administration, but it does it in such a measured way. It's not—this is not Michael Moore territory at all. No. No provocate—no agent provocateur type of thing going on here. It's nothing but information. And it also feels incredibly timely because they managed to get in at the very end— they managed to get in an acknowledgement that Trump tested positive for COVID-19. It's like, wow, they were this that just happened, yeah. right? But then you check the news and it's getting more outdated. This this movie's already outdated because of the constant updates and the constant rise in infections. So, but what I felt this movie was actually doing was just knowing that years from now, I mean generations are going to say how in the hell did this happen in America. Well, here you go. <laughs> this is the story. Yeah, and it's, it's a, a dispassionate accounting. It is. And it's uh, they, they kind of say they tout it as being filmed in secret. And you can say see that they use it what they call a COVID cam because they were avoiding, obviously, in-person uh, interviews with a lot of these whistle whistleblowers. So you kind of see this camera that they sent around where, where people recorded their interviews. That, that's pretty cool. But it's obviously it's the, it's the information that you get from it. And these and some of these these whistleblowers, these doctors, these people that were involved in in different levels of the uh, response. I mean, they're emotional. They're emotional, sure. telling their story. They cannot believe that we reacted this way. And then you see all these lackeys and and all these people just putting politics 
over science and the outright brazen dishonesty. It just goes on and on and on and on. And it's just, it makes you so mad, obviously, but so appreciative that it's here. It's, it's, this is the story of how supposedly the greatest nation on earth just fumbled this so incredibly badly, and now we're continuing to deal with it, and who and God knows what we're going to be dealing with this winter. Right. So it's very necessary. It's hard to watch in the fact that we're we're living this now. Who wants to really go back in time and 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 relive the early days of it? But it it's going to give you information you probably didn't know, and information that is going to be incredibly useful moving forward. Just to chronicle how not. To do it, and uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's highly recommended. Called "Totally Under Control," it's streaming now as well. <laughs> Moving to a foreign film next, Martin Eden struggles to rise above his destitute proletarian circumstances through an intense and passionate pursuit of self-education, hoping to achieve a place among the literary elite. It's Martin Eden. Quello che avete davanti è un malandrino, un marinaio. Io non sono un mito. È inutile che ci provate. A me non mi fregate. A me non mi fregherete mai! This is an interesting Italian adaptation of the old uh, Jack London Mm -hmm. novel. It's interesting in a lot of ways. You know, London wrote it, again, almost autobiographical, right? London wrote it because he had come up a proletariat himself and a socialist. Mm -hmm. And and he he had these, these novels come out that just made him... Super appreciated by people who had just 10 years before thought that he was dirt because he was poor. (laughs) And so this novel was a response to that sort of his internal conflict between being a socialist and now being very successful. And his hero, Martin Eden, is going to learn some really difficult lessons during the course of this book. So one of the reasons it's interesting is that it's been reset to Italy uh, director Pietro Marcello, who has mainly done documentaries, sets this in sort of a non-specific time in Naples, where it's vintage, but you're not really sure when and where it's supposed to happen. It kind of moves in and out of time a little bit and relies on an absolutely spectacular lead performance by Luca Marinelli, who we just saw earlier this year in The Old Guard. He's that guy who looks just like Mike Greenberg from I'm, ESPN. I know. If, if you watch ESPN as much as we do, or as much as I do, you know the name Mike, Mike Greenberg. And when we watched The Old Guard, that yeah. was the first time like, that guy kind of looks like Mike Greenberg. Well, he looks a lot more <laughs> like him now. In fact, I just clicked on, if you click on the picture that he has on IMDb, He's got a beard in that, oh. and, and he looks exactly like him. Someone has to tip off Mike Greenberg <laughs> about this guy, but he is, but he is very good. He is. He's so he's so good in this movie, and it has a they they, they shoot it in sixteen millimeter, and then they intercut sort of these. I guess they're supposed to be flashback memories, but but those look a little bit like home movie documentary style. The movie is just gorgeous to watch. A very vintage feel about it, and the performance, the lead performance, is just magnificent. And I always love when a filmmaker takes. A classic story, a book most of the time, and moves it, moves its setting or moves its its place mm-hmm. uh, and how they give it a different feel. I'm always interested in that. Yeah, because the original is Oakland in 1909, and this is this is Naples in, I don't know when. Like, it could be 1940, it could yeah. be 1970. It really, and and I think that that's intentional, but it's, it's a really fascinating, gorgeous movie. And you can find it in virtual screening rooms, for example, at the Wexner Center for the Arts, waxarts.org. Right. Waxarts.org, okay, and that is Martin Eden. Let's wrap up with a couple creepy films for the Halloween season. A superstitious mother is convinced that her daughter's new boyfriend is the reincarnation of a man who tried to kill her 
30 years ago. This is Evil Eye. Emma, um, I've met someone. Who? This is such good news. I've been praying for a good man for you. Can you give me his date of birth? You're not checking our horoscopes. Talk to your daughter. Astrology is unscientific nonsense. Hmm. Are you wearing a bracelet? Yes. Good. It will protect you, darling. If you're not careful, bad things could happen. She's cursed. I have to save her. This is madness. I pray that my daughter be spared. Ma, you need help. I'm trying to save your life, Balu. This is another one of those Welcome to the Bloom House horror films that Amazon Prime is releasing, and it's another pretty good one. Yeah, and it's, if you didn't know, one of the things they're doing, maybe the main thing they're doing in the Welcome to the Bloom House series is a real concentration on diversity. Yep. And here it's all about Indian filmmakers, Indian stars, and Indian culture which I think is is great. It really comes off in a, in a very positive way in this film. And its directors, their brothers, Elan and Rajiv Dasani. And the story is actually based on an Audible original, the Audible uh, audiobooks, uh-huh. uh, an original. And the the uh, author there adapts her own script, Madhuri Shakur, Shakar, if, uh, if I pronounce that right. Yeah, it's a story of reincarnation and a very traditional Indian mother who has moved back. They, they did live in America, and she and her husband have moved back to their native India, but their daughter has stayed here. Now, she's a very modern, you know, American woman, and mom is impatient for her to get married. And she always calls and makes sure that the daughter is wearing her evil eye bracelet to ward off any evil spirits that would stop her from getting married. <laughs> <laughs> so so the daughter, uh, who is uh, actually played by we ju- the, the woman we just saw in um, Save, Save Yourselves, uh, Sunita Mani, she plays the daughter. And her mother is played by longtime veteran Sarita Chowdhury, who made her debut years ago in Mississippi Masala with Denzel. Remember that? Yeah. That was her debut. She was the lead, right? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. And she's had a, a wonderful career. And she's great. Uh, and she's really great. So anyway, when the daughter f- does get a serious boyfriend, she thinks mom is going to be happy. Well, mom is not happy at all because mom is getting the vibes that the new boyfriend is, as we said in the synopsis there, the reincarnation of her old abusive boyfriend who tried to kill her. So, you know, and obviously... Obviously, the daughter can't deal with this and doesn't believe it. And it just goes on and on and on until mom decides to come over to America and deal with this herself. So the thing. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Yeah. The thing about this is, I mean, I have disliked some of our son's girlfriends (laughs) and I have considered showing up at the door from time to time. And so I applaud this woman. Yeah, she's, (laughs) she's all about it. But it's it's more about the mother daughter relationship because it's not really scary. Um, it's really not even that creepy. There's some su- su- suspense about it, mm-hmm. but the mainly, I think the main thing that works with this movie is the relationship, the dynamic between the mother and the daughter, and what's going on there. Driven by these two main performances, right. I think that's the draw of the movie. If you're looking for something really, really scary or bloody for Halloween, you're not going to find that here. But if you want to uh, find a real, a culturally delightful take on reincarnation and sort of a, a supernatural. Kind of type of story with uh, two really fine performances. This would fit the bill there, and it's called Evil Eye, and it's part of the Welcome to the Bloom House uh, series, which is streaming right now. Let's wrap it up on Shudder. On the cusp of retirement, an eccentric mortician recounts several of the strangest stories he's encountered in his long career, but things take a turn for the phantasmagorical when he learns that the final story 
is his own. The Mortuary Collection. Every corpse tells a story. It is our task to listen. So these are all stories about how people died. Some tales even I find too unsettling to recount. She's dead! You gotta get that body out of your apartment. Keep your doors locked tonight and keep an eye out for crazies. Monsters! That's pretty cool. Yes, it is, isn't it? There's no use running. Your story is just beginning. Nicely done, George. How did you like that synopsis? Phantasmagorical. I love that word. IMDb. Who wrote that? <laughs> nicely. That's nicely done working that in. Well, the first thing that caught my eye here is Clancy Brown. I knew that it would. Love to see Clancy Brown. He's awesome in this movie. He plays, it's an anthology is basically what it is. And the framing device is this is this uh, mortician who is sharing these stories. And so each story, of course, is its own short. And uh, Clancy Brown plays Montgomery Dark. Nice. The mortician, and he really channels Angus Scrim, uh, the tall the, yeah. man from the Phanta- Phantasm series. Right. He's just wonderful That's not in a this bad part. Thing. No, uh, he's just wonderful in this role. He's so good. But then also, you know, and I'm very critical of anthologies. I don't know why, but I just feel like too often it's just nonsensical stringing together of four or five short films. Usually there's one or two that are kind of weak. That's not the case here. I mean, they develop a consistent look and feel and tone for each of these. You know what? You, you say that, and you've said that a lot, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say over the last few years, there's been more than a few anthologies that have Turned your head. Yep. So I, I think maybe you're you're going to have to reconsider that notion. And this one is writer-director Ryan Spindell. And, uh, yeah, this is another anthology that is they, they find a, a better way to make them all part of a whole. Yes, absolutely. And, and then they all stand on their own really well. They're fun stories. They look great. Again, this movie has this really... Very charming, weird, vintage feel about it mm-hmm. without setting it in a specific time period. It's sort of a time out of time. It, it, and it takes very stylish elements from a lot of different eras, maybe, and, and puts them together in a, a way that is just great to look at. Creepy and fun. The performances are great. The short stories are each one of them great. I really enjoyed this movie. And I feel like if you are looking for something creepy this month, you ought to have Shudder. <laughs> yeah. They've been, as we've said a few times, they've been really on the upswing lately, and this definitely falls in that category, the Mortuary Collection. And with that, let's go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. In the lobby, getting all the latest news from the schlocketeer, Daniel Baldwin. Welcome back. You've got you've got maybe not as much news as last week, but some big stuff to talk about. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll run down the little stuff first. Anyone who missed Train to Busan Peninsula, like I did in theaters, it is hitting VOD on October 27th. They're just in time for Halloween. Woo-hoo. And uh, Netflix has dated Ron Howard's uh, Hillbilly Elegy for uh, November 24th. I think that's going to be one of their big Oscar pushes, at least in the uh, Best Actress and Best Supporting Actress category from the looks of things. And we also have Sony set Monster Hunter for a December 30th theatrical release, which is sounds weird on the American side of things, but given that the director's Resident Evil movies always made more money overseas, I think that's where they're counting on making their uh, cash 
late this year. I would imagine it won't hit VOD until early 2021. Okay. Beyond that, Lionsgate pulled its final two releases out of 2020, pushed both of them to 2021, and that's the thriller Fatale and a sci-fi movie with Colin Farrell called Voyagers. And then on the bigger end of changes, Paramount has sold the Eddie Murphy sequel Coming To, that's the number two, America, to Amazon for $125 million. Oh, my God. Oh, oh, oh man. There must be a bigger audience um, you know, yeah. market for that movie than I thought. I, I'm right there with you. <laughs> I mean, I'm excited to see it, but that never really struck me as something that was going to be a huge hit, and maybe that's why they're willing to sell it off. But Amazon hasn't given any indication as to when they'll release it, but it is theirs now. Wow. Yeah. And beyond that, we have... Of course, one of the big news on the theatrical front is that AMC will reportedly run out of cash by the end of the year, which means, you know, I wouldn't expect them to shutter, but I'm I'm guessing someone will buy them out. And speaking of Amazon, word was they were sniffing around purchasing them over the summer. So mm, I wouldn't sure. be too surprised if Jeff Bezos owns his own nationwide chain by the end of next year. Yeah, I think he's got the cash. Yeah. Yeah, I think he does too. And then the other big news that was causing a bit of a hoopla online was that Disney, one of their CEOs made the statement that their primary focus going forward is on streaming. And I know a lot of people were worried that meant that they were giving up on theatrical, but I, I think it's, it's a misread. What, what they're really saying is we're still making blockbusters. We're still going to be putting out big theatrical movies, but with the uncertainty of everything with the pandemic, you know, we don't know when theaters are going to fully open again. And there's a good chance that half these movies that have been postponed to like a first half of 2021 release aren't even going to make those days. Right. Right. So what? Yeah. So what Disney's doing is they're still making their Marvel movies, they're still making their Pixar movies, their big budget fairy tale remakes, but they're going to be focusing a lot more on smaller projects for Disney Plus and Hulu, stuff that will come out next year no matter what, whether the pandemic subsides or it doesn't. Yeah, it, anytime you hear a big headline that like that, it's always good to avoid the hot takes and look into it a little bit, a little bit closer. And that I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And then I saw something about Lego and Star Wars. Ah, oh, Star Wars. Nothing but Star Wars. Yes, there is a Lego Star Wars holiday special that's on the way. I believe it should be arriving sometime in December. I would imagine it's not going to be as weird and bad as the old 70s one. That's hey, exactly you never what know. I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> they should, they got to partner it up. It's got to be a double feature. Come on. I mean, you don't have B. Arthur anymore, but maybe they could get uh, <laughs> Betty White in there to do it. Oh, song and dance I like where your head's at. I do, too. That's good stuff. Yeah, I'll be looking forward to it. All right, the Schlocketeer, I know you're back on the podcasting front. What do you got? Yes, I've uh, partnered up with a friend of mine named Eric Antoine, and it's part of his podcast network. He has a Simpsons podcast that he's been doing for a while now called The Simpsons Countdown, and he decided that he wanted to explore the X-Files. He's never really watched a whole lot of the episodes. I've watched the series multiple times, so we're going through it episode by episode. Uh, we started with the first season, and I believe episode four dropped today. Nice. And I won't be guessing on every episode, but I'll be on the majority of them. So anyone that is interested in that, look for Discovering the X-Files on YouTube, Apple, Spotify, 
anywhere you can find a podcast. That sounds fun. George and I have never watched a great deal of TV, but you have hit upon the two shows that we have watched. I mean, we watched The Simpsons <laughs> religiously for many years, and I'm I guarantee we've seen every episode of the X Files. Yeah, what was the what was our favorite episode? What was it called? Um, home, Home, oh, creepiest yeah, thing ever. Four. So creepy. I'm looking forward to revisiting that one. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Daniel Baldwin, find him at the Schlocketeer and look up the podcast. Thanks again. Thanks for having me. One thing we do want to mention before we talk about what's up next week is our own film festival that we're lucky enough to have right here in our own backyard in Columbus, Ohio. Nightmares Film Festival. This year it is virtual. It starts on Wednesday the 21st, continues through the weekend, and it has an incredible collection, as always, of indie horror, including our film, that we would love to have you check out. It's called Nightmares Film Festival, and you can find all the information at nightmaresfest.com. And uh, our movie, our short, is called Godspeed, and it plays in the recurring Nightmares Block A. So Nine minutes. Nine minutes. Nine minutes of your time. We're in and out. Watch it. (laughs) We're not in it. It's just that... No, uh, no. I wrote and directed it, and we produced it. Right, and we produced it, and uh, we had some other... And our son did all the music. Yes, he did. And thank Kat McAlpine is the only face you're going to see on screen. She was magnificent. (laughs) The whole play... I mean, everybody was great. John Tice edited it, and Alberta Vigliani did the DP for us. I mean, it was so great. Yeah, we'd love to find out what you think about that one. But the, the point is, this this lineup is loaded with fantastic indie horror. We've got the chance to see a lot of these already, and you, you just you won't be disappointed if you like horror. I, you really won't. We've talked about it. We've talked about it a lot, and I know that a lot of people maybe who listen to the podcast don't have the opportunity to come to Columbus, Ohio, to check out some great horror. So this is your opportunity this year because it's virtual. So do yourself a favor, honestly. And and the cool and the other cool thing is some of these fests that do virtually, they still make you see a certain film in a certain window or miss it. Not the case here. No, uh, when you get your pass, it gives you access to all of the films in the entire lineup for the entire five-day period. So you don't have to think, I've got to get home at 7 o'clock to watch this movie. You can watch any of them at your leisure. You can pick and choose and watch all of them, which actually also makes it, in a certain way, better than the physical festival because they run multiple screens at the same time. So you have to pick and choose. Not so now. You can watch everything if you want to. Yeah, so we highly, highly recommend it. and, And maybe then, if you check it out and, and like it, and you'll maybe book a trip to join us in person next year, we'd yeah. love to see you. So either way, let us know what you think. Again, all that info is at nightmaresfest.com. As we look ahead to next week, probably headlined by a remake of The Witches. Woohoo! I'm looking forward to that. That'll I really am. That'll be fun. Or uh, maybe it's the remake of Rebecca. Yeah, that one looks interesting to me. Ben Wheatley is yeah. doing the remake. Yeah. So uh, we'll look forward to that. <laughs> Borat Subsequent Movie Film. It actually has a much longer title, but I'm not even going to uh, <laughs> attempt it. But it looks fantastic. <laughs> also, a Synchronic from a couple of our, our uh, favorite filmmakers on the, well, originally on the indie scene and yeah. now uh, moving more mainstream. It's called Synchronic. There's Antenna, which is another creepy movie, and The Sounding. Beast clawing at straws. And then another great shutter one, 32 Malazna Street. All right, good stuff. Let us know what you thought about any of these. Love to hear from you, as always. Easiest way to keep the conversation going is to find us on Twitter. We're at Mad Wolf. That's M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F. Also on Facebook and Instagram, it's Mad Wolf Columbus. And the main website where you can find any of our written reviews, plus our other horror movie-only podcast. Brand new episode, by the way. Woo-hoo! And uh, it's always a good time of year to check out Fright Club. You can find all that at madwolf.com. We appreciate you stopping by, as always. If you would do us a favor and subscribe, rate, and review, we would appreciate it. Yes, we would. And until next week, she's Hope Mad. He's George Wolf. And this is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. 
I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap. <laughs>